In this episode, I'll tell the story of my horse's recent colic surgery. I'll talk about how we know he needed it, how I navigated the emotional roller coaster, and how something helpful can come of experiences like this. All right, here we go. Episode 15, Lessons from Atomics Colic Surgery. Hi, I'm Karen Rolfe, and welcome to Horse Training in Harmony. This podcast is about you making progress with your horse in a way that you both can love. It's about learning how to move and be in harmony, because yes, you really can develop a horse to be both athletic and happy. When we show up as our best selves for our horses, our horses will show up for us. So let's get started. So my horse Atomic, uh, many of you know from the video classroom, uh, there's many videos of him in there, uh, usually videos about riding through tension or getting your horse's attention or things like that. He's um, quite a, a fiery little beast and uh, super smart. He's a Arabian. At the time I'm making this podcast, he is 17 and a half years old. And um, he's quite a dominant horse. He um, tends to be fearful. He is the lookout of the herd. He's quite aloof. Uh, so when he is afraid, it's kind of every man for himself. And he's super high energy. Uh, national show horse, so Arab saddlebred cross. Um, so uh, the, <laughs> the colic started on a just normal day. We fed in the morning and... Uh, he ate his breakfast just fine. And it was a couple hours after that, that my assistant actually noticed what was going on. Uh, Atomic has a really clear colic tell. I mean, of course, there's the classic signs of colic, pawing and looking at their sides and wanting to roll and not interested in eating and things like that. But Atomic has a very particular tell, <laughs> which is he will roll on his back and balance there with all four legs sticking straight up in the air. Uh, so the good news of that is it's really easy to spot uh, from across the field. And um, my assistant Becky did see that. Uh, so we did the normal thing that we do, which is bring them in to observe, uh, give banamine, offer water, give banamine, um, and start to red light. So through photonic health, I've gotten a red light. And uh, we start doing the colic uh, points and protocol that they have. And then... After that, once the banamine kicks in, if there's still, if he's still having trouble and there's no improvement, then we call the vet. I don't like to mess around with colic. So we did that. And we were quite fortunate that my vet happened to be right across the street at a neighboring farm. So by the time she came, he was um, pretty, pretty intense. Uh, she observed him. She did a rectal palpation. And um, she decided to give him some buscapan, which is, uh, it controls abdominal pain. Uh, it's, um, it helps to relax the gastrointestinal smooth muscles. Uh, so it helps with things like, you know, spasmodic colic, flatulent colic, or simple impactions. So when we gave him that initially, 
he showed some improvement. He started to want to nibble on grass. Uh, my vet had already been a little concerned and said, you know, you might want to hook up the horse trailer. Uh, so we were in the process of doing that. Um, and about five minutes after she said that, you know, she said, all right, see what he's like in an hour when that wears off, you know, we'll see if that helped him, helped relieve whatever was going on. And she was getting ready to leave. But um, like I said, five minutes later, he was wanting to hit the ground again. And that's when she said, she's like, I think you got to bring him in. So again, we're quite fortunate here to have several hospitals to choose from within easy driving distance. Uh, so I went to one called Peterson Smith uh, and it's a half hour away. And so we got him on the trailer. Uh, Dana followed me to reassure me that he was still standing and uh, got him to the hospital. Um, the ultrasound, they did a few diagnostics, but the ultrasound did show some thickening of the intestinal walls, which was um, indicative of some sort of constriction. So it constricts in one area and inflames and thickens the wall in another area. Um, that and uh, checking his lactate levels in his small intestine, which were um, quite high. Uh, his lactate levels in his blood was actually pretty good. So we knew he was, he was in good condition. He was a healthy horse, uh, but his intestines were not good. And that was an indication for surgery. So we wasted no time. Uh, just sent him on in there. So um, very glad that we did. It was um, probably about a five hour surgery. And what it ended up being was um, what's called a strangulating lipoma. It's also called a pedunculated lipoma. And what happens with these is there's um, just a fatty tumor that grows from the mesenteries with the lining in the abdominal cavity. And as it gets bigger, it hangs down and it, it kind of like pulls down this little strand from the mesentery. So you've got this tumor that's hanging on a strand and it's flopping around in there. And so what can happen is it can either press against or wrap around the intestine, or sometimes it'll, you know, the intestines will make a loop and it, you know, it'll pinch off a loop of the intestine. So that's what he had. And, you know, when I Googled these lipomas on the internets, um, you know, I saw all these nice little golf ball size lipomas. Well, he, they took a seven, eight inch by two inch thick lipoma out of this little 14, three hand horse. Uh, so he had been quite a trooper and he probably, um, he had had a, a couple mild colics throughout the year that were kind of odd, you know, he would be colicky, but he'd be pooping at the same time. Um, and that is actually one of the indications is kind of uh, mild colics that don't act normal and that resolve kind of suddenly also. So um, that was that. He came through the surgery really well, uh, was, you know, handled the anesthetic very well. Um, but when he came out, things were not going so well. Um, and he had what's called post-operative ileus, which is when the small intestine never really regains motility. So um, they were distended, uh, things weren't moving past them. So it was the next three days of him pretty much colicking constantly. Um, yeah, <laughs> which is not fun to watch. 
I was so grateful that the people at Peterson Smith let me uh, stay with him and spend a lot of time with him. So it was really hard to to watch. Um, he was in a lot of pain. He had to be sedated a lot, um, getting you know gastro nasal tubes um, very often throughout the day, and um, just really monitoring him really closely. And um, but after a few days of this, he did regain motility. We heard our first gut sounds. I felt like uh, cracking open a bottle of champagne. And um, from that point on, he slowly um, recovered and did better and better and better. And uh, and then he came home. So he's home and he is recovering. Uh, it was <laughs> so many, so many decisions, right? So uh, so many decisions along the way. So I wanted to I wanted to tell this story just to kind of make you guys aware of telling, you know, what happened, what it was, and, you know, the choices that I did, because I think sometimes that can, that can help just to hear what's possible and to know, you know, to uh, jump on it when your vets say jump. Um, I think that the fact that we caught it early, my vet was close by, even in the surgery, the, the intestine had not um, died yet. So we really, really caught it early. Um, another piece of this was I was, you know, in, in this mode, you sort of think of, you know, what's working, what's not working, what, what do I have in place? What don't I have in place? And one of the things that I had in place was a vet that I, um, I knew I liked and I trusted. Uh, I've gone through several vets, you know, they are here and then they move on. And I always, whenever a vet moves on, it's like, I want to, I want to have a vet I can trust so that when I'm in a situation like this, I don't have the added stress of, I don't trust my vet, or I'm not sure, or should I get a second opinion? So one of the lessons I just want to tempt you guys, if you haven't already, like take, take the effort to make sure you have a good relationship with a vet that you trust. If you currently are kind of tolerating the vet that you have, um, you know, I'll, I'll nudge you to maybe go investigate. And um, if even if nothing's wrong with your horses, it's worth the barn call to make an appointment and have your have your vet just evaluate your horses or, you know, come up with something they're getting paid for their time and um, get to know them um, before you need them. <laughs> you get to ask your questions and see how they respond. So it was very fortunate because, you know, Court, you know, Courtney, Dr. Varney, Courtney Varney here in Ocala, you know, she's helped me through some mild colic. She's talked to me through them over the phone. This one kind of looked to me the same as some other ones that I've had. Uh, but, you know, she really made the call quickly and it was, she was confident and I, I just did what she said. And it worked out. So I, I think it would be, it would have been a lot more stressful if I was wondering and doubting and thinking, oh, do I really have to do that? Maybe I should call someone else. So um, do if, you know, if that's been on your to-do list to change vets or um, do what you need to do to trust the vet, get to know your vet a little bit more, I would say, don't wait, do it. Now, another decision that I had to make during this time was uh, the, was around the fact that this colic happened on day three of a four-day clinic that I was teaching here at home. So I this happened during the morning of day three. So I'm out teaching my students 
and um, Dane is out there and he comes up and says, hey, just so you know, um, Atomic's colicking. Becky's on it. She's giving him banamine. She's redlining him, um, but wanted you to know. So at that point, I took that in. I thought, okay, you know, she knows what to do. She's doing everything she can. Only thing I could do is go stare at him. Uh, so I decided to keep teaching. I didn't let anybody know what was going on. Uh, about a half hour later, Dana comes up and said, just so you know, he's still bad. The banamine didn't make a difference. She's calling the vet. I said, that, tell her that's perfect. <laughs> and, um, you know, thank you. Keep on it. And uh, I'm glad the vet's on the way. So I was able to finish up the session as I was finishing it up, Dana, uh, because Becky was contact was in touch with Dana, came up to me again and he said, um, "You're just going to want to go straight there. Uh, it's it's he's really bad." So I went straight back to the barn, and you know by the time you know my students wrapped up and they're heading back to the barn, so now it's really clear what's going on. Everybody knows Atomic is colicking because his legs are up in the air, um, and so. I had, I had given them a pretty big session. So it was fairly easy for me to say, you know what, guys, I'm not going to be here for the afternoon. I felt actually pretty comfortable if they had the afternoon off, the horses could have a rest. But I was also fortunate enough that I had um, my other assistant and uh, dressage naturally licensed instructor, Shauna Lewis, was there with me. And she's like, I'm on it. I'll take care of them. I gave her some ideas of things to do. And she took over the last the afternoon of that clinic but I still had one more day. All right. So here are my horses. He had surgery and, you know, he came through the surgery. Okay. Thought he was doing all right, but overnight he got worse. So I went early in the morning on Saturday and I thought I'm going to have to cancel the clinic. I was like, I can't do it. And I'll, I'll talk to you a little bit about the emotional stuff I was going through, as you can imagine. Right. So I'm like, what am I going to do? I was like, so I thought, well, I'll just get up early. We'll get to the vet's office at six. I can spend a couple hours with them and I can go back and teach. And so that's what I did. But once I got there and he was not, he was not doing well. I just called Sean. I was like, I, I can't do it. I was like, I just I refund everybody. I, I, can't, I just can't do it. And then I was there and the vets were treating him and he got to a place where he was kind of comfortable and I got back in the car and I was like, no, Sean, I can do it. I can do it. Like I can compartmentalize. It'll be a good distraction. You know, I can't do anything. The vets are on it. Um, so I called her up again and she said, Karen, I've already talked to everybody and nobody wants to make you teach. Everybody knows what's happening and nobody's going to be able to concentrate. And they all agree that you should be with Atomic. And I have to admit, I really did have a sigh of relief and it really was where I needed to be. But this, you know, this professionalism, right? I'm supposed to be professional. What does that mean? And it's, it's sort of sad that often professional kind of means a little bit um, hard hearted, <laughs> you know, I can just do it, you know, that's being professional. Uh, but I think of myself really as a, a horse lover first and an, a professional on top of that. So when I, when I really, in my heart, I knew that I could, I could live with myself if I 
canceled the last day of a clinic and had to refund people. I feel bad about it. I really honor the effort that people took to get there and to take that time off and to drive and all of that stuff. I also knew I could make it up to them. I knew that it wouldn't haunt me that I canceled a day of a clinic. I also knew it would haunt me if Atomic died and I was out, you know, telling someone how to make a better circle. <laughs> so it took me, you know, a little while to come to that realization. You could, as I told the story, you know, I'm going back and forth. I'm, I can, I, I can't do it. No, I can do it. No, I can't do it. No, I can't do it. Um, so I'm, I'm so grateful for the people on my team, the people who know me maybe better than I know myself in that moment. And for my students, my heart centered students who, who could relate and could understand. So um, that's how I navigated that. So thank you. Any of those students, if you're listening to this, you don't know how much I appreciate that. And I, I know that there's some disappointment and I know I let you down. Um, I will make it up to you. And, um, and it absolutely was where I needed to be. So thank you so much for giving me that space. So now <laughs> I wanted to talk a little bit also about the, the emotional piece, right? The, the energy piece, because there's a lot that happens in this. You know, this is my first personal horse colic surgery. I've had clients' horses have colic surgery. I've had clients' horses have emergencies, but I've been really, really fortunate. I have not had really any of these, like, these kinds of emergencies. So I'm, I'm lucky and with horses or with, with people and family. So I'm, I'm a little bit sheltered with this, but you know, those of you who've been through this know, it's like, there's this swirl of stuff going on and there's these waves of different stages that you go through. Right. So thinking about very aware of what, what's going on. And then of course thinking, you know, how can I do this the best? What am I supposed to do? So the first kind of stage that I notice is like, you're in, you're in crisis mode, right? It's like, boom, things are happening. And what I found is just this state of like hyper alert. You're seeing everything, right? So you're in data accumulation mode, right? What is happening? What am I seeing? You know, what's the heart rate? What's the respiration? What's the horse's temperature? What's he doing? What is he not doing? Where's the vet? Where's my phone? Where's the trailer? Where's the truck? <laughs> you know, so you, you know, I found myself going to this really um, hyper, super clear um, moment where just the focus is really open and I'm seeing everything really clearly. There's some anxiety for sure. My heart rate was her up, but it was like this, you know, this information gathering mode. And there's something else that I noticed that happened in that moment. And it was pretty subtle. It was kind of a whisper. It was kind of a whisper and kind of a feeling. It's like one of those inner wisdom like messages. And I think everybody gets these messages in a little different way. Some are pictures, some are words, some are feelings. Mine's are mine's usually a, a sentence and a feeling that gets my attention. And it was this feeling of Oh, I wish I had fill in the blank. 
you know, it was this sense of, and it's hard to put words to it because it was really a feeling. It's the feeling of what it's something that you could imagine would turn into a regret. It could turn into regret. It's like picture that the worst case scenario, you know, atomic dies. What's the thing that I'm going to wish I had done? What's the regret? And so I felt in the middle of all this like hyper alert state of like seeing what's going on and trying to figure out what he needs and what to do and what to tell the vet is happening. There was this, this just message of, you know, I wish I had fill in the blank and I'm not going to share mine. It was, it was a real um, personal. It felt really personal between me and atomic. It was a relationship kind of thing. And it, it was, again, I don't even know if I have words. It was just this sense of how to be with him. And it wasn't that I regret it, but it was a, like, it was a piece. It was a piece of it. And so that that's, you know, it's, it's part of this, as you're being crystal clear about all these things happening, it's like you become crystal clear about your realization of what really matters. And what really, what you really want. So I think when when your body goes into this hyper clarity mode, you're going to get clarity on all kinds of things. You're going to get clarity on what your horse is doing, and you're going to get clarity on anything else that you're open to. And so notice that because it was like this one little sentence. And I find those inner wisdom voices—they say it once and then they go away. And if you don't catch it, it'll just wait till the next time. So I caught it. And so this is why, you know, this next thing I say might sound a little bit morbid and depressing, but I think it's a good thing to have the angel of death sitting on your shoulder every day. And I'm very aware of this. It's like having a little constant awareness that any moment could be the last. And you can use that to bring up gratitude and to put things in perspective. And that in that way, it's helpful. You know, so it's not, it's not an excuse to be depressed or sad. You know, it's not to do it that way. <laughs> like, I, Dana teases me all the time, my husband, like, if he's going away or something, you know, and, and he hasn't left yet, but I'll be like, Oh, I'll start feeling sad. And I go, Dana, I miss you already. And he goes, but I'm still here. <laughs> you know? So you want to use the angel of death, I'll call him, to use it to make sure you're feeling the feels, that you're feeling the feels in the moment because you're aware that some of these things are fleeting. But don't use it to, to put yourself in a state of depression so much that you're sad, so much that you're not actually enjoying the moment you're in, right? So sometimes I start getting sad that he's gone and he's not even gone yet. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm so glad he teases me. He's like, I'm still here. And then I go, oh yeah. And I don't be sad. I'd be really happy. I'd be, I'd be, I, I get really happy that he's still there. So it's this little switch, right? So that's what I want to think of with my horses with every moment, you know, what's the thing, what's the thing that if they were gone, that you would wish that you had done a little bit differently, a little bit better. And, you know, I've, I've felt this same thing when horses sometimes even injure themselves, 
you know, and maybe for a moment you think, oh, is this going to be career ending? Like, is this the thing that makes it so I can't ride them anymore? Is this the thing? And I've had multiple ones of those. Um, but, you know, you get this flash of, of awareness of the time you've wasted or awareness of the lessons that were too hard that you taught the horse or whatever it is. But in those if you're aware of them is a chance to do something differently, you know, so I don't like to learn hard lessons from the universe. I want to do my best to practice this gratitude and to play with my horses each day as if it might be the last, but in a joyful way, in a way that I, I make sure that I'm enjoying. And, and I think when you think about these messages, it's not always about doing less. So I think a lot of times when I talk about this, people think, oh yeah, I shouldn't work my horse too hard or, you know, whatever it is. And, and maybe that is the thing for you, but sometimes it's, it's, oh man, I really wanted that goal. And I just, I didn't, just didn't bring up and I never did what it would require to, for me to get the confidence to go do it. I just kept getting stuck in the same spot, or I didn't reach out to the people that could help me with this, or, you know, I didn't just do it. You know, I just never did sign up for that. I always wanted to do a competition, but I never signed up because I just never did it, you know? So, or it could be, oh my gosh, you know, I work my horse so hard. I don't spend enough non-demanding time with them. I don't know what it's going to be, but it's going to be something. And, you know, the, the message I got from Atomic, I was actually, you know, it was something I was doing. I was aware of, so it felt like it just it just heightened it and it just made me think in this moment in this crisis remember this is the piece and it was for me connected with the professionalism it was like you don't have to be professional like just just love him just be with him and just honor him for who he is so part of that really helped me make those decisions of being there for him when a more logical discipline part of my brain might have said, no, no, you need to go teach that clinic. And there, it was deeper than that too. So, um, so make sure that if you get one of these moments of clarity, that when the crisis is over and things work out well, that you don't forget it, right? So it's easy to, to have this outpouring of, you know, realization and what you're going to do and you know, if I, if this, if you make it through this, I am going to definitely, you know, fill in the blank, whatever it is. And then it's really easy when it works out to kind of go back to the normal, normal routine. So maybe write it down somewhere, mental note, or I find it written note <laughs> helps me a lot. And so just make sure when you go back to the routine, you, you take some sort of action step, make a plan and just say, well, what's the first step I'm going to take? What are, what's something real I can do to make sure that I remember this and don't have to learn the lesson again, the hard way. And on the other side of that coin is if it doesn't work out well, so let's say Atomic didn't make it or the horse did have a career ending injury, make sure you're not using that information, that new awareness to beat yourselves up. Right. So it's not that you're doing anything wrong. It's just an awareness of how you can make things even better. You know, we, I think our horses know that we're trying to do our best. I know that they know. 
you know, and your horses aren't going to be beating you up. Like, you should have done this. No, I don't think horses think that way. And I know that they're forgiving. That's what they're all about is forgiveness. They know when we're trying to do our best and our best is always going to be improving. So by definition, your best is going to be better later, which means it's not as good as it can be right now. And that's okay because at least we're trying and we're thinking that. So don't use this as a way to feel bad about yourself. Use it as a way to bring out all the joy that you can feel and to help you achieve everything that you want to achieve and live the life that you want to live with your horse. And I think if we're our best for our horses, then we can be best for them and we can help them. So, so after this stage of, of clarity, right? And so now, you know, the crisis is, I've, I've made the decisions. There he is. He's in the vet's office. He's walked into surgery. It's out of my hands. <laughs> What's the next stage, right? That's the, the, for me, that's when the tears came. That's when the like, oh my God, what if, what if, what if, what if, right? So your brain loves to play the story forward. And what if I lose him? What am I going to do? you know, and the sadness and then, you know, all the stuff, you know, you know what I mean? All the feels. And what I realized through that is number one, it's not helping anything. Number two, I don't want him to feel my sadness, right? So on the one hand, I think it's really important to let the feels move through you. So bottling up emotions does not work. They come like a wave. You've, they've got to pass through you. So, you know, find the appropriate time and place to let them move through you. So I did lots of crying in my car. I did lots of crying in my pillow and in the shower. <laughs> you know, it comes up, let it out. That's just, that's just my love for my horse coming out. And I don't want to turn that off. I want to feel it. All right. That's what I call, you know, love sadness. <laughs> it's sadness because I love them so much. Right. And that's a beautiful thing. So you want to let the emotions out, but then you also have to come to a point where you go, this is not about me. This is about him. And he doesn't need me being a sad crying mess around him. That's not the emotion that I want him to feel. Right. So what I did, I did a couple things. So, but one of the things I did, so he's laying in the stall, mostly sedated, trying to control the pain. He's all banged up from the thrashing around that he's did. And so he's laying there. I'm sitting in the stall. I've got his head in my lap and I'm trying really hard not to cry. And I just thought, all right, number one, let's not cry. So what, what are happy atomic stories? So I started just bringing up all these stories stories in my head and images in my head of him being the like magnificent dominant beast that he is. So I started telling him stories like, Hey, Atomic, like, remember when I was doing that clinic and I brought you out to do a long lining demo and you just like kept reaching like a whale repeatedly, <laughs> repeatedly and standing on your hind legs and bucking and leaping in the air. Yeah, that was funny, wasn't it? <laughs> And I, you know, I just, I was like, Atomic, you know, you know how, like when all the horses are around and you just, and all these huge 17 hand horses and you come and just pin your ears like slightly and they all scatter. 
that's so cool. Right. So I just filled my heart and my brain with all these stories of him. And I just told them to him out loud, having these pictures playing in my head. And I just kept petting him and thinking of those stories. And that made me feel better. I imagine he's reading the stories. They can read us so well. And so if we're going to have some energy flowing between us, I wanted it to be him feeling my view of how strong and how proud and what a fighter he is. And so that's how I got through those, that stage. And, you know, in the beginning, it was so precarious. Um, I pretty much kind of want to stand back and default to the experts, right? So they've done, they've brought thousands of horses through these scenarios. And this is my first time. So I was so grateful they let me be there, but I also was very, you know, I don't have an opinion like do what you got to do kind of mode. But there was a moment where I could see the vets kind of, they were waiting, right? So they were waiting. They knew he should have been getting better and he wasn't. And they would just come by and listen and say, nope, no gut sounds yet. And they're just keeping him, you know, medicated enough that he could be comfortable enough that he wasn't thrashing around and hopefully start to resolve and, you know, let things get flowing. They were giving him different medications to help, you know, get the poop that was in there out. And, you know, I really felt like they were doing everything really well. And I was sort of a, a, a witness, but there was one evening I was there from like 9 30 PM to 12 30 PM. And, you know, they just kept coming by and listening and kind of, you know, doing the Oh, well, no gut sounds. And I, I, I switched into a different stage and I thought, all right, come on, Karen, you know, what do you say all the time to students and, and with training horses, what can you do? Right. So I, and I thought, you know what, I can do more than just being with my horse, telling him stories, which I, I think was powerful enough, but what else can I do? And here's a little known fun fact about Karen. I actually, back in the nineties, went to massage school. I was licensed in New York and I studied AMA therapy, which is a, it uses deep digital pressure and it works the, um, the meridians. It uses acupressure and is based on Chinese, you know, traditional Chinese medicine. And I really had put that, I haven't really done anything with it. You know, I, my life took me in a different direction, but I was like, wait, I can do something. You know, they're just waiting. They're not doing anything. So what can I do? So I looked up the small intestine meridian. He had, he had eight feet of small intestine removed. I don't remember if I told you guys that eight feet of small intestine removed. And so what was happening was he had post-operative ileus, which means, yeah, the intestines aren't moving. Um, so I just spent two hours with my hands manipulating the small intestine meridian. I had my red light. I actually emailed um, Donna Woods from Photonic Health. I'm like, what else can I do? Here's the situation. She emailed me right back. She's like, just keep hitting the colic points. And I have her colic um, protocol. I have the app. <laughs> she actually emailed me the chart. Just keep doing them. So I just 
went over the small intestine meridian and the colic points with my hands. Then I went over them again with the red light. Then I went over with my hands again. I think there's something cool about hands touching. And I just kept doing it over and over and over again for three, two, two hours. And by like the second hour, I heard a gut sound because I do it and I listen, I do it and I listen. And then I heard a gut sound. And so I kept doing it some more. I did it for another hour. And by the time I left, he had really loud gut sounds on both sides. And, you know, I don't know. I, I know that there's, you know, correlation does not mean causation, right? You know, if I had been like doing jumping jacks, he might've been having the gut sounds at that point anyway. You know, maybe I helped, maybe I didn't. I, I understand that. But what I did know is that it, it changed my energy from just being a, a witness to being there with him, exchanging energy with him, actively helping, even just my attitude of helping him. I think makes a difference. And, you know, this stuff works. The meridians work. Acupressure, acupuncture works. So that felt amazing to be part of that and to be able to be the one going, getting the vet's attention and going, we got gut sounds, <laughs> you know? So that was, that felt empowering, right? It felt like I could participate. It felt like I helped him. Oh, so, so really, really, that's it. Um, a few days later, um, he did come home. The other thing that I did with him once he was starting to get better and he was able to start to hand graze and we go out and just sit in the, under the trees at the vet clinic and do a little hand grazing and then just sit and hang out in the, in the sun and just be there. Um, I, I contacted uh, my craniosacral myofascial person, Karen Partish, and she actually did some remote energy work on Atomic. And it was just a beautiful moment. We'd FaceTime. <laughs> Atomic was FaceTiming with his, his, uh, his healer. <laughs> but all these things came together and he came home in a little over a week. And you know, I'm at the time I'm doing this, uh, he's still recovering. I mean, this is very fresh. So, you know, I don't, I'm hoping that the story continues to be a happy ending, ending story. But I guess the, the point is that I know I'm doing all that I can. And I know he knows I'm doing my best and he knows how much I love him. And the time I'm spending with him right now is the thing, right? It's the message. It's the being with him and seeing him and, you know, loving him even more. And uh, I'm happy, I'm happy to do that. So I just have to give a shout out to, again, to Shauna, and to Becky, and to Courtney Varney, Dr. Courtney Varney here in Ocala, and Dr. Finley over at Peterson and Smith, and everybody over at Peter and Smith, who was so kind to let me stay there with Atomic uh, after hours. Um, because he was in bad shape and I really wanted to be with him. And so for everybody else, um, go hug your horses just a little bit more for Atomic and me and see if you can figure out what that angel of death will whisper in your ear in a crisis moment and see if you can think of it now, you know, so you don't have to wait until you're in a crisis moment to actually do something with it. 
you know, time and time again, when things like this happen with horses, there's always something wonderful and beautiful that comes of it. There always is. It might not be a thing you expect, but there's always something positive, or maybe that's just me. I'm always looking for the possibility in things, you know, but I think it is possible to feel the love and feel the incredible heartache and sadness when things like this happen. I mean, I really thought I was going to lose them and who knows how it's going to turn out, but by embracing that and not hiding from that, I know I can love them even more right now. And I can know what my goals are. So, you know, it's a gift to be able to see into the future for a moment and find out what you might regret. Regret's a horrible thing. So find out what you might might regret and commit to taking some action on that now. So the angel of death is your friend. See him as a friend. So anyway, I hope that helps. And uh, please send Atomic and me continued good healing energy. He's an amazing little fighter. And uh, yeah, I know he'll feel it. So thank you guys so much for listening. Oh, and you can see all those videos on Atomic in the classroom. So that's it. I'll see you in the next episode. If this episode resonates with you, make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Training horses is a long game. The more you listen, the more pieces of the puzzle you'll have. To see all your learning resources, visit dressagenaturally.net. That's where you'll find free videos, online courses, my book. You can sign up for my Wednesday Wisdom email or even book a private consult. Most of all, remember, you got this. Never underestimate the possibility for things to improve in ways you cannot yet imagine. Till next time, love your horse, move in harmony, and enjoy the process.